Hello and Happy New Year, global citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, and this episode comes to you myself from Ghana and my guest from the United States. And it was recorded on the heels of a literary festival that took place at NYU. And that's going to be interesting to talk about because that is part of my guest's story and his his timeline for getting to where he is now. And so I'm just excited to bring this episode out now because as we look at the new year and think about just new things that are going on for ourselves and for those around us, this conversation brings very positive for setting new intentions and uh, fulfilling our own visions for ourselves. So let's get started with his introduction. He is the inaugural Vice Provost for Institutional Inclusive Excellence at Tufts University and a professor of practice at the Jonathan Tisch College of Civic Life. Previously, he served as the Senior Associate Vice President for Global Engagement and Inclusion Leadership in the Office of Global Inclusion, Diversity, and Strategic Innovation at New York University. His career at NYU spent nearly 20 years and he has 25 years of progressive experience in higher education, nonprofits, corporate sectors, arts and creative industries, as well as social responsibility, humanitarian and philanthropy initiatives as an educator, professor, professional trainer, consultant, strategist, and keynote presenter. He has provided DEI leadership and strategic consulting for executive managers across the globe at organizations such as American Eagle Outfitters, Unilever Global, and the executive team for American Repertory Theater, ART, at Harvard University, and the management team at the Center for Responsible Lending, CRL, in Washington, D.C. He works regularly with UN Women and has served as a consultant to a number of United Nations affiliates globally. When he was at NYU, he founded and was a primary principal for the Global Inclusive Leadership and Management Institute and NYU's Environment and Justice Institute. He currently serves on the board for Global Black Pride and the Institute for Contemporary Psychotherapy, where he serves as lead strategist for DEI. He's a member of Future Talent Council, where he serves on their DEI task force, talent acquisition and employer branding, and future skills think tanks. He is also a professor at NYU. Can't get away from the NYU <laughs> after 20 years. I can imagine why. So he's also a professor at NYU Abu Dhabi J-Term and a visiting thought leader for Waxen University in India. Often described as a change maker, innovator, global thought leader, strategist, visionary, and lifelong learner, Monroe France, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So great to see you again and be in conversation with you again as well. Yes. yes. Yay. Yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> All right. Let's jump right in. So my first question, where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? So I'm from originally outside of Cleveland, Ohio, or Cleveland, Ohio. And, but then also as growing up as a child, my family have deep roots in North Carolina and the South. And so I would spend a, quite a bit of time um, as a young child going back, back between the North, quote unquote, Midwest and the South, right to North Carolina, in, in a part of rural part of North Carolina, up in the mountains and not far from Virginia. I would say that like, you know, my, my craft is... I consider myself a 
positive disruptor, right? And so, and what I mean by that is that, you know, I, I want to make good impact in the world. And I do that through a number of layers as an educator, as a human rights person who like believes deeply in liberation and justice, someone who is a public speaker and public thought, um, thought leader, intellectual, and someone who sees themselves as a global citizen, right? And so I have spent quite a bit of time traveling the world and learning through the world. And finally, I would say, um, which is probably my biggest position in the world, is a lifelong learner. And I live in the world to learn. And so that's who I would, what my major craft is, being a lifelong learner. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I love that you said, I, I'm being in life. Did you say, repeat that again? You're- yeah. So, so living in life to learn. Living in yeah, life to learn. So. Yeah, I love that. I love that because yeah, why wouldn't we? Why aren't we? That's that's the meaning of life. So yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, my my, my full time job is in uh, as in a university, right? And often fascinated, and not the good fascination, um, but I'm often very fascinated by people who work in higher education um, and who are not learners, right? And especially those who are in the classroom directly and they love to profess, but don't create a space where they see themselves in community with their learners, right? And the learners themselves. And so fascinated by those people because it's like if you were working in fitness, you say, I don't believe in fitness. I don't practice any good fitness, right? And so um, so I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get it, right? But for me, yes, like you wake up every day, hopefully with the intention to try to learn something new about yourself, the world. Yeah, that's, 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 I think for me, that's what drives me. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. So I want to know a little bit more about why the where. So how did you come to be living and working and playing where you are currently located? Sure, no problem. So I, as I mentioned, you know, I grew up in Ohio um, and went back and forth through North Carolina as a child and still go to North Carolina. I have uh, property there now. Uh, when I was finishing graduate studies, I immediately knew that I wanted to live in New York City. And mm-hmm. I used to joke growing up as a as a child that I was abducted from New York and eventually I would go back and find my original family. So. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, I, so in some ways I have. I have so many chosen people in my life that are uh, my chosen family, right? Yeah. Whether blood or not, right? And so right now I am living back and forth between Boston and New York. And, you know, I would say that my why where, right, when I when I decided to move to New York City, I wanted to be a part of like, you know, the epicenter of life, right, where mm-hmm. like, you know, you felt this heartbeat, like, you know, just by waking up in the morning, being out in the streets and that fresh air of New York and, and not so fresh, right? But <laughs> that air that, you know, you just kind of take in and you feel this liveliness and self. And I was in my late 20s and, you know, I felt like nothing could stop me in the world. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a fascinating time in um, 2000 when I moved to New York. And I've lived through many, many, many uh, monumental moments in New York from 9-11 to the, the mm-hmm. Black House New York that happened um, to many other things, right, over time. And um, Occupy Wall Street. Um, so many mm, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right? And so but people often forget about that history already. But yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I, so I lived through a dynamic time in the city and it really has shaped me. And I think that's really being in a city that is global itself, right? I, you know, I didn't re- quite realize that coming into the city that that's part of what drew me into the city, right? It mm-hmm. is that, that the global nature of it, right? And then it just kind of opened me up to start seeing all parts of the world. And, and now I'm in between New York and Boston, you know, life happens. And mm-hmm. 
Um, during a pandemic, I um, purchased a pandemic house um, and moved mm. out to Long Island. And so mm-hmm. that, you know, I wanted the best of both worlds, being able to have my yard and be able to sit in my backyard and have a little front stoop at my house and have multiple rooms and all of those things. <laughs> I actually put in a white picket fence. That was the first thing I did when I moved in, no joke. So, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Wow. So I wanted a piece of my American dream, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, right. But, but did I still wanted the city in my back, you know, at my fingertips? And so, yeah. the reason I continue to work in the city um, before I made this move to, to Boston. And so far, I've not given up my house on Long Island because, you know, it's part of who I am, part of my DNA, just with this New York thing and for yeah. me at this point. So, but I, now I'm in Boston, and Boston is a lovely little city. It's quaint. It's a cute place, but it's growing on me more. Um, but I never saw myself living in Boston at all. Um, as a matter right. of fact, a couple of years before moving to Boston, I said, I would never live here. It's cute. I'll come back and visit. I, I'll vi- I visit Boston, but never live. And, and be careful what you say, because that is now where I'm spending quite a bit of my time and just making sense and meaning of it. So, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but what, why, why, why did you leave New York? Oh uh, gosh, you know, ish. Ish. New York is, yeah. leave New York is. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I, I like to always qualify that. I live in Boston and I also have a new house in New York though. Exactly. So maybe it makes it sound cool. But yes. uh, what I would say, what well, it, it was time to make a change, right? Mm-hmm. And I had been at my past employer, New York University for many years, um, over a course of two decades. And, you know, I had made really, really profound relationships during that time and have had a lot of great opportunities to to grow as a human being, to grow my career, to um, learn so much about sort of how to be a leader, um, especially within a global context, which is something else that I feel deeply committed to. But then you get to a point in your life and your career where you realize that life becomes a little static in some ways. And you need, if I say I'm a positive disruptor, I sometimes have to disrupt my own life, right? And mm. like, and then see what happens, right? And then you just see what happens. And and so I'm navigating and seeing what happens. It's, I have a phenomenal job at Tufts University where I'm vice provost for institutional inclusive excellence in a professor mm-hmm. of practice in our um, Tisch College of Civic Life. And that's what drew me there, the opportunity, the opportunity. Sure a new leadership role. And I, you know, figured that, and this is no knocking people who live in Oklahoma or Idaho <laughs> or whatever, but I knew I wasn't going to one of those places. And so, sure. um, and so right. it's convenient to still to New York. I get back and forth um, quite a bit. And then yeah. other places in which I just think are beautiful to be out near the Cape and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of time on the Cape and New England is just a gorgeous place. And I'm learning more yeah. about different places to visit there. And so it's a new adventure. It is a new adventure. Yeah part of life on this journey and it may not be forever right but it's for now and so and i'm making sense of it as i said i'm making sense of it right we'll take it so i want to i want you to take us a little bit on your your global path right so you moved to new york to this global city and and that opened you up to moving around globally so tell us a little bit more about what inspires you when you travel or to choose the locations that you travel to. And, and I'm sure some of those are incorporated with your work, but uh, tell us, tell us about your, your, you in the globe, around the globe. Sure. Absolutely. No problem. So yeah, so as you're correct, a lot of my global travel or what has opened me up globally was my work, right? Because Mm -hmm. at NYU, um, it has such a global reach with um, three universities, four universities in the world, one in Abu Dhabi, Dhabi, one in China, and then one in 
New York, and then all these different global locations. We actually met through um, some of my work travels to our NYU, mm-hmm. to, to the NYU Ghana site. And so that like, you know, opportunity to be able to be in that space, to be able to be a fabric of the, like the global strategic work that was happening at NYU and also to be able to work deeply with my colleagues in Abu Dhabi or in Ghana or like some of the work I had the opportunity to do in South Africa, which is one of my favorite places in the world as a matter mm-hmm. of fact. I just got back from there. Yes. Oh, it's gosh. beautiful. I've been, yeah. I've been a little bit of time, so I'm kind of envious yeah. of doing that. <laughs> but um, no, I'm very happy because every time someone gets to go, I get joy through that. And, and so and so a lot of it was through work and, and, and about like you know, possibilities. And I love to work on projects with people that, you know, brings, you know, a part of like, you know, what my sensibilities are, a part of what their sensibilities are in creating something. And so, so a lot of what like drove my sort of initial global travel was this, you know, creating possibilities, right? Um, Whether it was taking students on opportunities to learn, whether it was traveling to work on a new project or program with a colleague at a campus or university in South Africa. We started to take students to an exchange trip to South Africa, to the University of Free State. So of all places, mm-hmm. right, the mm-hmm. Free State, a few times, as a matter of fact. And we had students who studied to New- came to New York for a period of time. Then we took our students there as well. And I helped to um, lead that trip and that experience and that program. And So a lot of it was about possibilities and building relationships. And then over time in that relationship building, right, I've created more of a global community. And so so even when not traveling for the work per se, you know, then like I travel to see friends in the world, right? Because, you know, when you're naturally um, doing work within a global context and you're truly immersing yourself in communities and cultures and having dinners at people's homes and mm-hmm. uh, meeting their mothers and their partners and their children mm-hmm. and all that, naturally you start to build this like, you know, community where people become your friends, not just mm-hmm. your work colleagues. And so then, you know, it starts opening up the world to travel to see your friends because, you know, for me, like relationships mean a great deal. And and so that was another reason, right? To nurture these relationships that really inspire me to be around some really dope people doing really mm-hmm. incredible things that have similar values to me in terms of global possibilities to make impact and to see change in the world. And so, so and then it just becomes a part of your heartbeat. And so if I can't, yeah. you know, if I can't anticipate a new trip outside of the U.S. <laughs> and I, um, I'm having a hard time, right? I don't have anything currently scheduled. So it's a little bit of a thing for me right now. And so, you I'm, know, I'm just being Abu Dhabi um, now for COP28 yeah. and change my plans and figuring out if I'm going to be there in January. So, so I, I need to get something planned because it gives me something to look forward to. And I feel like that I'm right. embracing my identity because it's hard for me now not to have like at least in a every like at least every couple of months a, a global trip. When I was back at NYU, it was much more much more regular, and so it'll yeah. it'll like I'm have settled down a little level. Bit, it, yeah, yeah. Bit, but it will it will it have I have spurts right where it picks up. Sure. Yeah. 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 You know, back or whatever. Yeah. It's so interesting you say that because I had the same sensation during. COVID when I was here. And for the first time, I didn't have a, a plane ticket that was going somewhere. Yes. And I was like, wow, this is not for the first, well, for, for, the fir- for the first time in more than a decade, right? right. Because I always had, you know, um, someplace that I was going so I can 100% relate to that. Yeah. Right. Restless. It's like, and, and yeah. Obviously, though, even though I'm like, you know, traveling, I'll say, I can't wait to get back home. 
right? I'm just mm-hmm. this or this. And then I get back home and I'm like, okay, well, so let me start thinking about the next trip, right? Yeah, yeah. I hear you, totally hear you. And I felt the same during the pandemic. And, you know, and as soon as we were able to travel again, I was back out there and, you know, right. navigating it safely, right? My first trip mm-hmm. back from the pan- in the midst of the pandemic, I think was in St. Kitts. Okay. And moved there I'm in the midst of the pandemic. She still now lives there. Mm. And I've now been twice to see her. Nice. It's my first trip. And it was, you know, it was a bit of a challenge, like trying to. Yeah, and all it was. In the midst of, yeah. But, but yeah, I had to get back out there as soon as I could. And then from there, I went to Mexico a couple of times. And it was just. Like, sure. Um, let me just like, I'll put on a mask. I'll take my test and I'll make it work because. Yeah. 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 I hear you. That's like high five. We're, yes. we're, we're of the same <laughs> brethren. <laughs> Okay, so so let's talk a little bit about the work. So I think many people don't really understand what a provost does, mm-hmm. what that role is. And I think we're getting more and more information about what diversity and inclusion is, and particularly in an education context. So tell us about what, what the role of a pro- provost is at a university, and then your specific role in the diversity and inclusion space. Absolutely not a problem. So a lot of people do not know what a provost is, right? Mm-hmm. What a president does, they lead the yep. institution. They probably don't know much more after that, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're also a fundraiser. They're also a relationship builder, et cetera. And then the provost is the chief academic officer. So that mm-hmm. is the person that really makes all the decisions about how courses happen when. They, like, you know, oftentimes provide leadership to the deans and the schools that run their individual schools, depending on the setup of the institution. They're, like, often, they have the biggest team that reports to them across the institution because they're driving the academic life and the educational mm. life of the institution. And so, so they are like uh, they are really the person that uh, when you think about the mission of an institution, like it's about really like you know sort of teaching, learning, creating and curating new scholarship, and then also the like you know and also researching. So, so I am as one of the sort of deputies of the provost. I like you know my area is to help to advance right um, inclusion and inclusive excellence across the university, across the university in alignment with, right, driving the academic mission of the institution. And so mm-hmm. sometimes these positions can be set up as on the marginal ends of the work at the institution. And for me, I mean, even why I changed the name of my office and as we are reimagining sort of how we do the work across the institution, for me, it's very important that this diversity, equity, and inclusion work is directly tethered and aligned with you know, excellence in research, excellence mm-hmm. in teaching, excellence in how we do the work at the institution and lead, and then also excellence in actually developing um, new scholarship and innovation. And so mm-hmm. for me, that's why I said it's about the inclusive excellence piece, but it's also about the institutional accountability, right? And so for my work and the way I'm thinking about my work with my team is that, you know, we're there to also ensure that, you know, these important qualities of in, like in, ensuring all parts of the university feel that they matter and that their experiences are valid, that they help to create excellence at the institution, right? We have to also have institutional accountability to make that possible. And so that Mm. is what I'm there to do, is to be in those spaces, in the rooms, to provide consult to the president, to the provost. I also sit on the president's cabinet. And so Mm -hmm. one of his strategic thought leaders, as we think about like how we respond to things at the university, 
And then I work a lot with the deans across the institution and think about how do we make this work aligned with like with their scholarly work of the faculty, aligned with how does it align with the research agenda, right? And so -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I get to be a part of all of these really dynamic conversations to ensure that, again, that we're coming from an equity-based approach to how we do all facets of the institution. So that's what I get to do. In my work. So it means a lot of programming. It means a lot of, mm-hmm. it means a great deal of disrupting. Yeah. That's right. a, the first thing I was thinking, I was like, oh, they see you coming and they're like, oh no. He's <laughs> like, we say, I need to talk to you and I need to talk to you soon. And we're like, oh gosh, what does he want now? Right. But yeah, literally, I think that, you know, because I try to come from this in a space of, joy and possibility yeah. and transparency yeah. and accountability that, you know, I, I hope for the most part, people see that, you know, I'm trying to do the work because I want us to be our best, right? I believe deeply sure. in excellence. And sometimes it means I got to disrupt normative behaviors that, that no longer serve us if we want to, like, if we're truly committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, if we're truly committed to it. And so, so yeah. that, like, you know, for me is important, but I need, you have to be thoughtful, you have to be strategic. And for me, the work is a leadership question. And so I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time exactly. about inclusive leadership and sort of all equity-based leadership, right? Mindful leadership. Because yeah. I want people when they're in a position of power and authority or you have some power and authority, because I can believe everyone can be a leader and mm-hmm. no matter what mm-hmm. you want, mm-hmm. wherever you can influence, right? How are you doing that with an equity and inclusive mindset to ensure that the work you're doing is um, done thoughtfully and also done in a way in which that it represents all people at the institution? Sure. It's not just getting sure. there, but they need to make certain that they have a balanced experience once they arrive. And that's what I get to do. But then I get to do this work in a global context, too, and so which is really exciting and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And so how how did you find yourself in this space, you know, I mean, you had a career and then suddenly, you know, what about your life's experiences prepared you to be in in these types of roles progressively with more responsibility and, and more impact? Yeah. So I like to say I started in elementary school. Um, I, was, I like that. Let's go back. I was, I was like, <laughs> right, so I was what I forget what we called it, but I do remember like maybe in fifth or sixth grade being like a junior's cross guard. Right. And so mm. we're cross guard and that the little yellow thing that you're waiting but <laughs> the cross guard, like to go like whatever. Um, so I had power. Right. And something got <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I, I joke. But yeah, so and, and then just progressively when I then went into middle school, I, you know, I got involved. Right. Yeah. I was class president, although quite obnoxious. Um, <laughs> um, and I was a little rebel rouser. Right. And, and I don't know, just even growing up, I just found myself attracted to difference, right? Um, mm. Being in spaces where, like, you know, I could be friends with, you know, the Cambodians, like, you know, my Cambodian mm. friends or my mm-hmm. uh, Puerto Rican friends at, um, at at school or, and then just, you know, expanding, expanding, expanding over time, right? My roommate in college, after my first roommate was a real problem. He was lots and lots of issues, <laughs> lots of issues. He's super smart, but the boy didn't take a bath. He, like, yeah, you know, oh, like, yeah. Like, on in drug problems, but uh, but then my roommate, like when I found, like when I moved myself out of my other room and and moved into another room, my roommate in college was Chinese, and so we, I just drove, I was just attracted to all along in life, I believe, um, difference, and then 
having three generations of Black women really helped mm. me and grow me. So, so my great grandmother raised me and my um, three mm. brothers at age eleven. Uh, me and my two brothers, sorry, after age 11, the three of us. Mm-hmm. And then I was the oldest great-grandchild, the oldest grandchild, and the oldest child. So Wow. So then with my grandmother growing up as a child before she passed away, she passed away way too young. She, mm-hmm. I was her, I was her everything, right? I would spend a lot of time mm-hmm. with her between she, her and my mom. And then, you know, and then of course I was the oldest with my mom. And, and that created like, for me, a great sensitivity to understanding my male privilege and also mm. a feminist, right? What does it mean? Mm. I'm censoring Black women, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and, and, and that being my default community. So that mm. like, also has shaped, I think, my deep passion and impact and like and, and coming and leading with this ability to ensuring that all people feel a, a sense of liberation and, and self-determination in who they want to be. Part of that also, too, is that my mother and father had a really complicated relationship and there was lots of violence and trauma and things like that. And that's also made me more sensitive to the world um, because I want to ensure that, you know, people don't experience the power being like used in really mm-hmm. corrupt ways on top of over them. I like to say yeah. I'm a structuralist, but I don't like structure on top of me. Um, and so mm. I, I like structure because it helps you to understand and anticipate what's happening. And it creates more equity and, 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 and it creates like clarity for people to understand pathways. But, but at the same time, like structure laying on top of me or on top of us, right, it is like, you know, it doesn't equip us to be able to have liberation. So that it became, for me, a deep part of all of who I am. And then I just naturally, again, for, for whatever it is, and I don't know why, is I just felt like I always wanted to be a leader in some way, right? Just mm. always felt like I wanted to be a leader. And, and not in a bad way, like authoritarian leader, but like someone who felt like I can use my skills, I can use my talents, I can use my voice, and I can use my time to help make things better. Sometimes that means like, you know, aligning and corralling people or working across, like, you know, across groups to be able to make new possibility. And then finally, I've always liked to, and this is again, and maybe just over time, it became something that I just got more and more passionate about. But I've always liked this thing about like, what are we going to do new? What new project can we work on? What new possibility? And that I like, so I like to be around people like that. People who like to do and like to imagine and like to create new possibilities. And, and I have found that people who navigate the world globally are typically people like that. And so mm-hmm. national, like, you know, kind of like magnetic thing that has happened over time as I've built relationships. And so that's it. I, I, I can't pinpoint an explicit moment when I said that, oh, I know this is my drive, my, my calling. Is sure. Calling, but it just became. And okay. I just and I and I just became I was involved in church. You know, I was a choir mm-hmm. boy, I was an usher boy, like taught some vacation Bible school. I mean, so whatever, like, you know, whatever part of a community or whatever part of something I've gotten involved in, I've often taken on roles, right? And sure. I've done it in so many different ways, from activism to the workplace to community to like projects outside of and in between. And it's just I, I feel like it's just something that is meant to be, but it doesn't mean that there are times I'm like, can people just leave me alone? 
<laughs> so I also struggle with that. Like I can easily yeah. and just be to myself, right? And sure. Creates like you know that space to rejuvenate, to like you know to to get in re-energized and all of that. But but yeah, that yeah, it's about I okay the possibilities. It's about new possibilities in the world. Yeah. Okay. So you you were talking about the different places where you where you've been and where you are. So I want to move into global speak. Sure. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you come to value it as a global speak. So in this regard, you can use your locals or maybe something you've picked up along your your global travels. Hmm. That's a very interesting question. And I would say it almost makes me think back to my, my great-grandmother. Um, mm. and, and this is such the embodiment of who she was, but, and this is a phrase, and it's maybe not, it's not a global phrase per se, but it's so deeply mm-hmm. like, you know, embedded in me and how I lead and how I show up in the world unapologetically. And she once said to me, boy, you don't let your light dim your light for nobody. And that is such a Black Southern woman's yes. <laughs> a bee, right? Yes. Don't give her life for anybody, right? And and that meant even for her, she would walk into church with her meat coat, her big <laughs> hat, <laughs> her, her, her shoes she shouldn't be wearing, right? At 75, because her, right. her feet hurt. But she's like, I gotta look fabulous. So what you gonna do? Okay. I my life for nobody. And and that was something that she um, not only embedded in me, right, um, mm-hmm. through just like, you know, through modeling that, but also held me accountable to it. Mm. And, you know, and I'll never forget a time when we were in church and um, she felt that one of the, like, you know, one of the, you know, uppity sisters in the church had given me something that was inappropriate in terms of quality of a fruit. And I will never forget her marching me back up those stairs and having me give the fruit back to the to the sister in the church, and saying that you know you never give my my grandson anything that's anything that is not worthy of him. And so that like you know was not only did she again tell me she showed me it right and right made right. it clear to someone else that this is yeah. not a place to negotiate with right and and that has been a deeply embedded in how I show up in the world. And I guess, and I often say to people, I'm not afraid of anyone. And that, like, you know, it means that there are times in which that maybe I am, that people may see me as difficult or people may see me as stubborn or people may may define it as defiant, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, it's about this is my truth. This is why I think this is important. And uh, and then let's have a conversation, right? Because I think the greatest sense of respect is truth. Yes, yes. You can tell someone the yes. truth. That means, and it's your truth, right? It's mm-hmm. your truth. And I can then, back back in the day, I could not be properly <laughs> convinced that my truth wasn't the main, the only truth. <laughs> much better understanding of the world. <laughs> much better understanding of my place in the world now, right? Right. Many truths, right? And yes. so I can state that truth and then we can negotiate from there. But if someone asks me a question, why not be truthful? Yes. And you may not like it, 
It may not be exactly what you wanted to hear because oftentimes people want you to just be nice. And I yes. think this is like, you know, it's for the birds. Um, mm-hmm. Kindness is mm-hmm. very intentional how we show up in the world and we are like truthful. So anyway, that like, you know, boy, don't let your light, don't dim your light for anybody is something that I have cared with me so deeply. And and I think it like it, it, it I, I often think about this even in the spirit of you know, people from the homeland, right? I was going to ask, yes. Showing up in their big, bright, beautiful colors, right? Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, just showing up who you are, right? And yeah. the power of that and the disruption in that. And and so I think there's something beautiful about it. It is something that, you know, I hold tightly to. And and it was a, and it, it's something that's like embedded in me. And I needed to hear as a Black boy growing up that, yeah. you know, because the world has tried to minimize like minimize us, Black men, Black women, which has tried to minimize us so much. Black trans people as well, of course, right? Tries to completely annihilate mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. But I think that it is something that sits with me deeply. Yeah. Sure. So picking up on that and in your work mm-hmm. globally, you know, there are a lot of cultures that are, you know, purposefully light dimmers. You know, yeah. you think about their, yeah. that just, it's just a structure of their, their culture. Mm-hmm. So have you experienced in your role in the DEI space, having to really um, sit with or settle to some extent on how effective or how impactful you can be in in this space because of those types of constraints. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Hard. <laughs> it's hard. The academy yeah. is an easy place, and it's a culture and right. Yeah. Them, right. Um, yes. Even that within that context, right, and then you get into mm-hmm. the, the, the capital C culture, right? Right. Um, exactly. But I and so yes, yes, and so I, you know, in those spaces, try to figure out if what can I still own and what can I still like feel like I have agency. Mm. Right. Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is not easy. And it's not easy leading in these spaces and navigating and then traveling the world in some cultures we know politically. Um, yeah. It you know, has dimmed the light of like whether it's like you know, micro parts of its culture or majority. Mm-hmm. Parts of it. like, no, I'm mm-hmm. to get in power and, to, and do that. And I've been in some of those places in the world and it can yeah. be really, really stifling and hard and, and challenging. But I in the midst of that, I always think, though, and this is certainly true in the academy without question and then in also cultures around the world, there are always resistors. Mm. And mm. and so, and I always say, um, and even when I'm talking with students and we go in these cultural immersive experiences, right, you know, not only look at the, not only see the, like, the, mic- the macro culture, but where mm-hmm. are those subcultures and microcultures that we don't see, like, readily? Yeah. Because within that, whatever we learn the truth is, that don't hold that as the only truth. And that's mm-hmm. learned that over yeah. time, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Myself in the world. But 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 that the like that that whatever you see, like ask yourself, like you know, pull out and say, who are on the margins here? And what might their stories be in relation to this truth you're being told? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and then within that context, when people say, you know, that it's not easy to be gay here or all women are oppressed here or blah, 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 blah. And the 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 on a macro level, that might be real true. But then once you start pulling out 
and looking into the margins, you may actually find people who have been um, resistors, who are like, you know, who are finding ways to liberate themselves in a context of an oppressive macro culture, or who are who have been disrupting and um, and like quote unquote in a positive way, deviant to what like or defiant to what they are told they're supposed to be. So, so that gives me hope. That. Mm-hmm. Gives- Hope, right, and 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 so and and I think that's again like being in the world, being a global learner and a global citizen has opened up me to see most holding multiple truths at once, and that is sort of what has been helpful being in the world. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, yeah. sure, sure. So you you kind of drew me to my next question, which is why academia. Mm. Mm. <laughs> oh my God, this is not the question asked me today, especially the context of what's going on in, like in a campus time right now in relation to the war in the Middle East. Um, it's been mm-hmm. a hard, hard, hard semester. But I would say in my campus, like in, in campuses like mine, but mm-hmm. it is, I left academia for a little bit of time. And as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, as I was um, doing my transition out for the um, period that I did. Um, and I left full time because I still had, uh, I'm still doing a lot of like training and education work sure. uh, back, back in the academy and working with universities to do work like projects and consulting with them. But full time I left for a bit. In part, I was getting a degree in fashion, uh, which is my mm-hmm. degree myself. Um, I went to, I, I did some fashion stuff in high school. And then I was thought I was going to go on into fashion um, school for like a year and a half program or something like that. My grandmother was like, I don't know. My great grandmother was like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not going to happen. <laughs> so, so I don't know what that is, but, uh, but no. But <laughs> so, full circle in life, right? Yeah. In my, 30s, in my mid-30s, I decided, well, I'll go back and get a degree in fashion from the Fashion Institute of Technology, right? And so, okay, nice. And at that time, I was transitioning out of the academy and working in a nonprofit. And I left the nonprofit and I did some stuff in fashion for a period of time and worked for myself. Okay. And did some marketing stuff. And while I was still dibbling, dabbling in education too, I never left like you know higher education for me. And mm-hmm. then so I did that for a little bit of time, and then the economy went bad. Mm. I needed to go back into work, and then I worked, and I was up for a job in back at NYU where I had left, and then I was up for a job at Lambda Legal and also the Posse Foundation. And so you can see all the connectivities because it was all. Driving yeah. back to social good and some elements of education. Because even with Lambda Legal, I was working on an educational side. I applied. And that's mm-hmm. where I ended up working. And that mm-hmm. didn't work out for me ultimately. And NYU kept saying, Are you sure? You sure you don't want to come back? You sure you don't want to come back? This is why I always think about how do you leave a place and as much as you can, not unless they're trying to. T- um, unless it's something to do with your integrity or how people sure. you, that's one thing to leave a place, not in a positive way. But but if it's possible to leave in a positive way where your legacy precedes you and you know you've left doing good work and being respected for the quality and the impact you've made, at least doors open, right? And so, yeah. so ultimately, I did go back to NYU, back into higher education in 2009. And part of that, I'm getting to your answer, part of that was I realized that you know, because I'm a learner, mm-hmm. um, and not that you can't learn in all parts of the world. Let me be clear about mm-hmm. that, because you can learn. Mm-hmm. I learn every day just by living in the world. So that hold that there. But I wanted to be at the epicenter where new knowledge, like new knowledge production, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that to me again, like you know, gives me the space where I can do all these, like you know, if you're in the right institution, because not all institutions, yeah, are right, yeah. where you have the platform 
to create new possibilities. And that certainly was the case for me at the time I was at NYU. And now at Tufts, the same, like there's a space, there's space to be entrepreneurial. There's space mm-hmm. to be creative. There's space to like, you know, to create new possibilities. And so far, you know, I've been supportive around that, supported around that. It's been hard this semester because, you know, it's my first one though, but first full semester, but it's been hard um, given the global context and what. Yeah. Our campus in response. But I do feel that there is like that there's something beautiful about being in the space education. I don't know if I I, I will retire. I'm mm-hmm. not one of those people that like is like, oh <laughs> y'all have to drag me out of this office or drag me out of this office. Not me. Uh, <laughs> have some other ideas about what I want to do with my life after, right? And sure. part of that is like you know a good full circle going back to like you know doing something in fashion, but but a hybrid of that where like you know I would be able to do fashion and something community based and like bring the community together in space and mm. my, my interest in music and all those things. So so I have sure. some ideas about what that would look like, but I do feel that it has been where. I can make a big difference where I can build and impact leaders and then also help to like, you know, inspire new leaders, right. And emerging leaders. And so it has felt right for me and, and and it has, Obviously served me well in some ways in terms of career wise, but I will retire. So <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, it, I mean, it, it obviously feels like it fits you, and I I like what you said because as you were talking, I was like, oh, innovation spaces. That's yeah, really what yeah. it is. Like uh, the idea of being in a place where there's always innovation as the mandate to some yeah. extent, right? Yeah. To a large extent. So, yeah. so yeah. I think that's a good uh, time to pivot to my mindset hack question. Mm, sure. So this is where we ask you to share your favorite or an innovative mindset hack. This is one that you practice, one that you know of, or one that you can imagine. Mm, thank you. Yeah, see, so for me, a, a mindset hack is this question, going back to this question of what don't I know? Mm, mm, mm-hmm. What don't I know? What don't I know about the situation that's in front of me? What don't I know about, like, you know, the, like, as I'm trying to solve for this problem, what don't I know, like, when we're navigating a conversation with someone that's really upsetting me or, like, really challenging to get under my skill? But that's when I'm at my best space, right? That isn't when I have really have gotten my rest and I'm clear-minded, right, that what don't I know? And that is going back, I forget, driving back to this learner, right? Yeah. What don't I know? And that has served me because it has made me curious, right? Mm-hmm. In order to be in the world globally, you have to have curiosity. The what don't I know has like you know, helped me to build relationships with people different than me. The what don't I know has allowed me to take risks that like maybe other people would like sit on for a while. And sometimes, you know, I'm a Taurus, but I'm a Leo rising the moon. Um, I, could, I could, the Leo is all over there. Leo's all over there. I was like, this is, I'm a Leo, so. You get it, so you get it. Uh, I do. So that, like that passion that like, you know, that wanted to live in the moment. 
sometimes, yeah. right? But thoughtfully, because the th- tourist behind me is always like, you have to be strategic though. Even though when I just feel like I'm just living, right? That people are like, yeah. That? And I'm like, yes, but it's about the what don't I know, right? That this is, I'm driven towards ideas and possibilities. And that for me, as a, as a mindset hat, has really opened up possibilities. It has led me to not be stagnant. And even when I was like at the same place in NYU, it was a job as a part of my larger career. And in the same case for Tufts, it's a job in my larger career. And in the same case for any project I work when I think that this is what project, if it doesn't work out, then you move on to the next one, right? And right. Because, but then how I know, right? So, but now yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not left wondering, like, should I have done that? Like when I decided to go and get to a degree in fashion, it was, I wanted, I was thinking about it, but thinking about it, think about it. Well, why don't you do it? Just try yeah. it out and see if it works, right? Because what don't I know about it? And that spirit of kind of less leaning in at times and and like you know taking risk has helps has helped me to live the life that I have. And and I want to continue to be able to hold on to that. If I am blessed enough in the world to live at 80, I wanted 80 to still be to get up in the morning. What don't I know? Who's, yeah, yeah. My porch, and I often joke about this. My life dream is to, like, you know, to be on my porch. My biggest decision for the day is which bottle of wine I'm opening. But I don't, <laughs> the of that, it's like I sit on my porch and I'm going to be the nosy neighbor because part of what I will be doing is, what did I know y'all doing out there today? <laughs> what did I know y'all up to? So, <laughs> yeah, I love that one. Uh, yeah, I so really do. I, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great hack. I love it. That's that's you know I I pride myself on being a curious person, but you know yes. encapsulating it and that asking your question of mm-hmm. of yourself. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah. So Monroe, I want to be mindful of our time, sure. and so before we let you go, we always like to know what our guests do when they're not working and they're not solving problems. And so I I typically ask if you're a reader, a watcher, a listener, and what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens, or what else do you do in your, your leisure time? Beautiful question. Beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. question. So I would say that I am a, I, I have great ambitions on being a regular reader. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you should see the number of books that I purchased that I started. Right. Probably even just this in at NYU just now, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Just, oh, absolutely. At the book, yeah. at the book conference. The symposium. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I bought like how many books? I bought like six books, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I carry my suitcase. There may have been eight books, actually. But right. um, that I carry my suitcase. Right. And I've started three of them at three at once because I'm always about what don't I know? Right. And I move from one book to the next. And so I have to get I have to do better about that. I'll I'll read a whole article from beginning to end. But the book, it it, it becomes a thing because I'll move on to something else that seems interesting or someone would name a book title. And then that. Mm, But I will say that I find myself more of a watcher and Mm -hmm. I I read a lot of short like articles because it's my career and I, right. And, or I try to get the cliff notes of even a book because if it's with someone or whatever. But then I would say a watcher and I watch a lot of, I watch some trash TV at times, right? HGTV, right? To be able to and look at what people are doing with their homes because we know about people's lives. Sometimes we'll watch just mindless like TV. I like to watch investigation shows and I 
again, it's probably because of my curious mindset, right? I, yeah. I like to see how the, the, the brain works and why people make the choices they make in the world. And probably my other career would have been a social psychologist and something like that. Mm. But, but a deep social psychologist. But, and, and then, so, so I definitely do the read. For, I mean, the watch for sure. Yeah. Is, mm-hmm. That is like my, but then that other question about what else I do, I like to be in company. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Up until I don't want to be in company with them. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, for example, you know, I'm with my friend, like very good friend uh, from South Africa originally, but has been in New York forever. And then another friend who works in the arts and creative um, spaces. One friend I've done a number of projects with from South Africa. She's the one that opened up South Africa to me. Another friend, like I love getting together with him. And, you know, we've shared, like we go to theater together, things like mm-hmm. that, and musicals, et cetera. And so I love that. So I love to watch theater and music. But being in that space together where we were able to talk about our world travels, talk about what we're like, you know, navigating the world and all of that. That, again, is that sense of curiosity and that community yeah. that's really important to me. But then I did go back to my home and retreat from Long Island. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a cup of tea as I did last night when I got in the house, right? Yeah. Do a fire, do a fire and just Ooh. be right and that, yes that gives me incredible joy too absolute incredible joy just a couple of weekends ago i like you know rented a little house for a weekend oh. college and just was there by myself and for the weekend we had a fire and you know i made myself like breakfast and i went out to took myself out to dinner took myself out to brunch and it's one of my favorite places in provincetown so so doing things like that too where there are little like mini getaways where mm-hmm. You know, I can mm-hmm. take time, whether it was family and friends or even with myself. It's also mm-hmm. what I do. And that, to me, um, is really incredibly restorative. Because I have a hard job. Uh, where yeah. Or, like, you know, are, are expecting a lot of me. It's and constant. Yeah. Constantly giving. And so I have to give to myself, too. So I'm a, so I guess I, I like to say that I again um, I used to joke and say I'm a Renaissance man. Uh, but I say that sounds a little egotistical, but, but <laughs> it's not. I'm a Renaissance woman. I claim yeah, it. Sure. It's fine. Oh, thank you. Make me feel better. Yes. So 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 yes. Yeah, so I like I I am I have um another word of I'm of multitudes right inside. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, so that's how I live my life in multitudes. <laughs> not wonderful. I love it. I love it. Moreau, this has been so wonderful. I, I, we could talk for hours and I, I would love to at some point invite you back to talk a little bit more about, you know, what the space is like post your, you know, this time and as you get deeper into the role. But before I let you go, do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? I realized my last, this is, I love, you know, quotes, but in one of my quotes that I used to use all the time is nothing great has ever been accomplished in life without passion. Mm. And and so that also is something that deeply grounds me in in, in living in the world as a global person. Um, mm. Is passion, right? What are we passionate about? My mm-hmm. passion, like yours, um, and your passion may be different in how you use it, but but passion. Figure out what your passion is, and then from there, the world opens up to you. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. I agree, most definitely. Thank you. Thank you. All right, local citizens, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us Tuesdays with new episodes at localcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please like, share, subscribe, or leave us a review and check out the show notes. They're always very rich. So until next time, bye for now. <laughs>